And we are moving right along in this jam-packed hour of Max and Murphy here on WBAI, 99.5 FM, WBAI.org. We have been talking so far with two candidates for public advocate, both in the state assembly, and now we're going to be joined by our final guest, who is not a member of the state assembly, but she has a very interesting uh, resume, and that is Dawn Smalls. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. So tell listeners uh, and and fill us in um what who are you where do you come from and and you know sort of a a brief resume absolutely so my name is dawn smalls and i am a mom i am an attorney and i am a first-time candidate i live in Flatiron, uh where i live with my husband and my three kids and i practice law at one of the top litigation firms in the country Um, but i am not just a lawyer i come to this race with over two decades of experience in law government politics and philanthropy. I've worked for two Democratic presidential administrations. In the Clinton administration, I was the assistant to White House Chief of Staff, John Podesta. In the Obama administration, I was the chief regulatory officer at the Department of Health and Human Services and was part of the leadership team that was responsible for the initial implementation of uh, the Affordable Care Act, which of course gave health care to millions of Americans. I have uh, lived in and confronted the bureaucracy and um, broken through the bureaucracy to get real results for real people, uh, which I think is a critical criteria um, for this role um, for public advocate. I, for the last three and a half years, I've served as a commissioner on the Joint Committee on Public Ethics, which is the statewide agency with oversight over the governor, the attorney general, and uh, the statewide electeds in state, appointed to that position by Andrea Stewart Cousins. Uh, And I have uh, worked for uh, two of the largest philanthropies, focusing specifically on democracy issues, community organizing, political reform, um, and so on uh, at the Ford Foundation and uh, the Open Society Foundations. In 08, I think it's significant, I was the Iowa New Hampshire political desk for Hillary, and I was the New York political director um, for President Obama. So February 27th comes and you've been elected public advocate. What are you going to do? Yes. So um, I have my platform really focuses on four key issues. Um, I may expand that a little bit, but I'm starting with the four. And I've really tried to focus in on uh, bread and butter issues that affect every New Yorker, no matter what their station, no matter what their borough. Um, I start first and foremost with the subway. Um, I don't think you can uh, really uh, wrap your arms around or um, take on a position whose charter is to be the watchdog for services that New Yorkers see on a daily basis and not confront the subway. Um, That is the most um, tangible service that New Yorkers really use on a daily basis. Understanding that that's not... um, you know, wholly or even primarily under city control, um, you know, my position on that is that the public advocate, you know, the way that I view this job um, is to be a problem solver. And and you can't solve a problem unless you engage and bring to the table every stakeholder that actually impacts the services that, um, 
you know, average New Yorkers see on a daily basis. So you have to engage the governor. You have to engage Albany. And the public advocate is duly elected by all five boroughs in the same way that the mayor is. And if the mayor can go to Paris, the public advocate can certainly go to Albany. Um, in addition to the subway, um, I want to focus on affordable housing. Um, again, uh, this is an issue that... Um, is critically important in our city. I think there is real benefit to having um, a, a facet of that office that literally focuses on that issue day in and day out. I'll give you a tangible example. Uh, when you go to the Amazon deal, um, there are a lot of things that um, you know people are objecting to, but one of the things that's gotten lost in that discussion is the Amazon site was actually slotted for 1,500 affordable housing units, and nobody's talking about that. And I don't think that deal should go through unless there is an alternative plan for those 1,500 um, affordable housing units. You can't be in the middle of affordable housing crisis and just say, you know, whoops, we have a different plan for this site, um, and you've got to figure out um, something else. Uh, my next issue is homelessness. Um, you know, I am, you know, am among New Yorkers that see the burgeoning number of people out on the streets. One of the things that I have found most striking is the fact that there are more children six and under that are homeless in this city than there are single men. That's not how we think about this issue, but that is the actual um, reality um, of homelessness in the city. And really want to figure out how to um, tackle that head on and figure out if there are ways to make sure that uh, women and young families families get priority in the housing lottery. Um, lastly is voting reforms. I think it's really exciting that we've finally gotten some movement. As I mentioned when I gave a brief overview of my, bi my bio, this is an issue that I've worked on throughout my career. Um, you know, it is long, long overdue, but the devil is in the details. I'm really excited that we have um, seen some real change in New York State, but it doesn't mean anything until, um, you know, the average New Yorker shows up at the polls and isn't waiting there for two hours. Um, it's all lit service until it's actually um, done. And so I think the public advocate, um, and specifically me as the public advocate, uh, can play a key role in making sure that that's implemented correctly and that, um, people see real change. Say a little bit more about how you'd approach running the office. You know, you talked about uh, having a facet of the office that's dedicated solely to affordable housing and housing issues, but say a little bit more about how you would sort of run the office and approach it. You know, you're an attorney, you've worked in federal government, as you outlined, you have a really good sense of creating bureaucracy, but also the problems that come with bureaucracy. I don't create bureaucracy, <laughs> I break through bureaucracy. Okay, uh, but um, you know, how would you sort of run and set up the office to both create your own uh, bureaucracy and also challenge, you know, the city bureaucracy. So I, I'm, I'm going to continue to push on um, the idea that I would be creating bureaucracy. The public advocate. I, I'm just using a, it as, you know, office I infrastructure. Office okay. in, but, <laughs> but symbols matter and okay. language matters. Yeah, it's got a um, negative connotation. It does. And it also kind of create it, it also suggests something large and behemoth. And you don't and have it, that choice. No, the public advocate only has a budget of three and a half million dollars um, to do do a real overview and investigate uh, city services. So that is by no means a bureaucracy. But if you're asking me for structure, okay. um, I would say that I would structure the office around and have a team of people, at least one, but possibly multiple people, that literally all they did was live and breathe these issues. Um, and so you would never have a situation, going back to the subway, 
you know, where the mayor did not meet with the subway's, um, you know, new chief for six months. And, you know, that only the only reason that meeting occurred is because the New York Times wrote an article about it. Right. And how long would it have gone for if the New York Times hadn't run, uh, written an article about it? So having I mean, that's part of what the public advocate's role as a watchdog and having somebody that is literally watching this stuff every day and being able to call it out the next week it happens um, and and actually track deliverables, track funding streams, what happens when, you know, and, and right now we're only really following the stuff when a story gets written or in a state of the state address. That's when we get our updates. We're not going to make progress on these big intractable issues, um, only getting a, an update um, or a key piece of information every six months. There really needs to be um, a level of attention and focus on it that um, that is really um, every day, all day. Just to ask a philosophical question, you've been involved with the two most recent Democratic presidential administrations, and a lot of the talk since 2016 has been that um, both the Bernie Sanders phenomenon and the movement in the, of the Democratic Party to the left, mm-hmm. and perhaps President Trump's victory, are a repudiation to some degree of the kind of Democratic politics that both Clinton and Obama represented, that that was in some way not in touch with what Americans needed to hear. What do you think about that and the direction of the Democratic Party now? Do you feel as though Obama missed the mark in terms of speaking to working class people? Um, And do you like the movement of the party to the left or do you feel comfortable with the administration you served in as having been on target? So there is a lot embedded in that question. How long um, do there we are have? multi-layers, but um, let me just start first and foremost that I'm I'm proud. I'm a proud Democrat. I am proud to have worked in the Clinton administration. I am I have been a proud supporter of Hillary Clinton, and I am certainly a proud member of the Obama administration. And full stop. Um, I you raise. I'm trying to remember. There were <laughs> multiple points. Well, in your, I guess. Do you think it's a good thing that the Democrats are as a party seemingly moving? to the left and and some degree away from where President Obama was. I don't I mean I don't see the shift that way. I, I really don't see it as a referendum on President Obama um, in particular, and I don't hear people talking about that way. That's why I'm sort of struggling with the frame. I do think that there is a um, tilt for the left, and I think some of that is good um, and is pushing us to where we need to be. Um, and I think some of that is probably, you know, will will work itself out. The thing that I will say that I do think is important that has happened this past cycle that needs to continue to happen is that there is a real um reckoning in the Democratic Party in the sense that um, we cannot continue to say that we are the party of young people and people of color and women and continue to have a leadership um, that looks the way it does. And I don't need to call out specific names, but is generally white and um, over the age of 60 um, at, at, at best. Um, and I don't think that represents what we say that we represent. And I think we saw that in this last cycle. I think it's really important that the Democratic Party, we are at an inflection point where the baton needs to be passed to a younger, more diverse set of leaders. And I'm happy to put myself in uh, the category of people that are putting themselves forward um, to potentially be part of that group. It's very interesting that you ended there in that answer, because that's actually where I was heading, which is... 
you've obviously got this uh, very strong resume for running for public office. Um, I'm just sort of curious what what made you decide to run and for this office and at this time, were you gearing up for something a little further down the road and then this vacancy occurred and so you jumped on it? Um, well, go ahead and answer you if you want to answer that, and then I have a second part. But um, you know, sort sure. of, was your plan to run for office, or what made you decide this office? You know, how did that sort of? So happen? I can tell you, two years ago, um, prior to the 2016 election, I had no intention of running for office. Um, this is, I have. Um, you know, I, I, I will start by saying this. I believe that we are living in a time where our collective children will ask, where were you and what did you do? Um, I have personally been reflecting on that on a very personal basis in terms of what um, my answer to that question would be. I'll also say that as we are in this very um, uh, dark time, um, that I believe that uh, the only way that we are going to get out of it, I do believe that there are more of us than there are of them, and we are being held hostage by a hostile minority um, in this country. But the only way that we get ourselves out of this is for um, people to step up to run um, and people to engage in a way that may feel like a stretch that they may not have done before. That is my thesis. That is why I'm here. Um, I've been telling people um, over the last year, every brunch, every set of drinks, look across the table at the person and say, is it you or is it me? Um, there's nobody coming to save us. Um, and despite the you know, criticism at Clinton and Obama, there is no overarching figure that's going to come in and be the solution to this problem. We're it. And so if you believe that, and I do, um, you have to sit back and reflect about whether you are the person or is it the person across from you and whether you personally have something to offer. You mentioned my resume. I, um, I think I do have something to offer. I think that I'm the most qualified person in this race. And uh, that's the reason that um, I'm here and that's the reason that I'm running. And so I guess the second part of that question, and uh, for listeners, we just got a couple minutes left here with Dawn. Smalls, a candidate for New York City public advocate in the special election coming up February 26th. Um, how do you assess your chances? How do you think about this race with 20 plus candidates running? Yeah. A lot of them are current elected officials. As we talk with Danny O'Donnell, you know, he's got a base in the Upper West Side that have voted for him. He for, does. For and years. I, I still got more <laughs> contributors from okay. New York City residents. Um, so, Fair I mean, point. seriously, but, we but, are. But no, how do you no, think no. about your. Yeah, go ahead. This is this is we have had very few markers in this race that are actually tangible that you can you can measure one is the ballot um, and so all candidates had to had 12 days uh, to get their petition signatures in and the order of the ballot was determined by the order that we returned signatures petitioning is a is a early indicator of organizational strength I am third on the ballot and I am uh, ahead on the ballot of at least six, maybe more uh, elected officials, including the distinguished Danny O'Donnell. Um, I am the only non-elected official that made the match for public financing, which was announced this morning. There were only four people that made that match. And to do that, you had to get broad support. I had contributors from all five boroughs. I had more contributors um, 
than only other two other people in this race um, in your list of 23. That, again, includes a very long list of elected officials. So I think people find um, both my message compelling. I think they're on board with having a new face. I think they're on board with having somebody that is truly independent of the political machine. And I think they're on board with having a qualified woman in this role in a, in a time where all of the city's leadership is currently all white men. And just to remind voters, what's the name of your party? My party is the No More Delays Party, and my website is dawnfornewyork.com. Well, speaking of no more delays, we are uh, starved for time here, so we'll say goodbye to Don Smalls. Thanks for rounding out our our series of PA candidates on today's show. Thanks for uh, having me. Thank you. Thanks to Ben Max. I'm Jarrett Murphy. You've been listening to Max and Murphy. Our producer is Reggie Johnson. Be sure to tune in next Wednesday at 5. Until then, keep on listening to WBAI 99.5 listener-sponsored non-commercial radio. Have a great week. 